Dark Dimension Studios presents Salvation, Book One of the Salvation series, Heaven Above, written by S.T. Fortnum, read by the author. Prologue. My heart rate was increasing. Its pulse was fast and heavy, like that of a man beating wildly on a drum. Sweat was streaming all over my body. My skin felt like it was on fire under the thick fabric of the uniform and tactical gear. I still wasn't used to the weight. It made me feel constricted, and the thought of constriction made me claustrophobic. Just before me was an iron door with faded red lettering, indicating it was an exit. It's not an exit but an entrance to the hell that waited outside. I heard a close explosion that rattled the whole room. The amber lights flickered, the rafters moaned, followed by the sound of bricks and glass collapsing into a pile of rubble. I knew we couldn't stay here long. If we did, the place would topple and crush us. An alert sounded from the device on my arm. I looked down at it and saw the health display. My heart monitor showed 190 BPM. It was reading my stress patterns, too and showed an increase in blood pressure. I was scared. It knew I was. It also knew I was about to go out into the battle once more. The rest of the device came to life. The gears had a quiet whine that became higher pitched as it powered up. The gun barrel elevated slightly from my wrist, emanating a soft blue glow from within the chamber. The battle became more audible. I could hear semi-automatic rounds popping by far-off carbines, followed by screams of soldiers and the enemy. Another explosion. Farther this time. There was an ear-shattering scream from above. It was an air vessel's engines, and rounds blasting from a fifty cal. That was one of ours. Are we going out there? A faint voice asked. Yes, I replied. Are there more of those... things? asked the faint voice. I'm afraid so. Those things, mutations. No, not mutations, creations, demons. A species hell-bent on annihilating what was left of the human race. They came in swarms like fire ants, living for their one purpose. They were resilient, not feeling, and determined to win. Monsters made by a bigger monster. Are you ready? I asked. Yes, replied the faint voice. We are, said a second voice with courage. I didn't want to bring them with me, but I had no choice. Leaving them here was dangerous. Coming with me was dangerous. With me they stood a chance. Alone there wasn't one. I took the hand of the one with the faint voice, keeping her behind me, and opened the door. From overhead, another air vessel flew toward the war zone. It launched two missiles that roared away with loud whistling and traveling white lines of smoke. I followed them with my gaze as they reached their distant target, a pack of enemy creatures. Bodies and shrapnel flew in all directions from the blast. Flames and black smoke rose high into the air. The war zone was drawing the attention of the Xenos away from us. 
They were being sent by their collective to retaliate, which would give me a small window to make it to the fog cedar and disable it. The fog cedar, a tower of twisted, reconstructed metals that formed menacingly evil shapes, spiraling up to the cloud line, like the outreached hand of the devil himself, emitting chemicals, keeping the atmosphere from replenishing, and keeping the earth in an unlifting fog. I began to run toward it, with the other two closely behind. The weapon on my right arm displayed a targeting selection, but now wasn't the time for it. I glanced at the heart monitor again. It was still warning me. My sight became hazy. I couldn't black out. Not now. That was not an option. Chapter 1. The City of Heaven 1. I awoke to the sound of the morning wind, the same wind that I had been waking to as long as I could remember. I pushed the covers off and rose up slowly, rubbing my eyes. As I looked forward, I saw the light piercing through the blinds. The wind was always so loud on this side of the city, rushing in from the east. I cast my legs off the side of my bunk and felt the chill of cold metal underneath my feet. My room, the refrigerator. But that's how all rooms are in the city. Cold and heartless metallic boxes. The name of the city doesn't match the images that are projected in our imaginations. No, this place is quite the opposite. A purgatory. A place for us to wait. But what we're waiting for, we don't really know. Perhaps we are all waiting for the end to come, but what that end is, and when it will arrive, no one knows. I pulled on my pants and threw on a beat but warm shirt, one that had been made by my mother some time before she got sick. It has a tear on the right sleeve near the cuff, but I don't want to fix it. I don't want anyone to change it. It's one of the only things she left behind. From the other room, I can hear my little sister, Cory, banging pots and pans in the kitchen. She always liked to cook breakfast for Dad and me, just like Mom used to in the mornings. It's incredible how much alike they are, Cory and Mom. It makes me sad that she never got to know Mom as long as I did, but that's how life is here. When someone gets sick, it will probably be their end. As I entered the kitchen, the smell of cinnamon filled my nostrils. A family favorite, cinnamon oatmeal. Cory scooped the hot cereal out of the pot and into our bowls. I saw that my dad wasn't awake yet. He usually sleeps late. He has since Mom left. I made my way to our little round table in the kitchen and slid into the chair. Our kitchen is small, very small. There is barely enough room for one person to move around, but there were times when the four of us managed to cram in together. Most of the other housing units are the same. A very small foyer from the door that acts as a living room, a tiny kitchen and dining area, then two small rooms for sleeping, parents in one, children in the other. Not all units are this way. There are some who are privileged, those whose families have been able to afford it, lived in mansion-sized units, multiple rooms, separate kitchen and dining room, a bedroom for each family member. Even with the larger units, the population was becoming increased and harder to make room for. The governing committee had been trying to find a solution for the growing problem, but they couldn't seem to find an answer. Corey placed the bowl of cinnamon oatmeal before me. Eat up while it's hot. Thank you, I said and took a spoonful of the gooey substance. How did you sleep last night, Bron? The same. The wind woke me up like always, and the smell of your wonderful breakfast. 
She giggled. I'm glad someone likes my cooking. You're becoming quite the chef. Maybe someday you could work in the city kitchens. You really think so? She sat down next to me and took a bite of her food. At least there I can make something else for breakfast, she said with her mouth full. The city kitchen was the place to be if you could get in. That was the place where the governing and highly regarded citizens would go to eat. It was there that the freshest fruits and vegetables from the Agdome greenhouses were taken and prepared, a place where fresh bread and rolls were made daily. It wasn't often that the regular citizens could go eat from the city kitchen, only on special days, like the upcoming Day of Ascension, a citywide celebration when we remember our escape from the world below to this city of refuge. If you get a job working in the city kitchen, what will I do for breakfast? With the way you cook, you'd starve. You little brat. I reached across the table to tickle her, which sent her flying back from the table laughing. Stop it, you'll make me drop my breakfast, she cried. I heard a door crack open, then turned to see my dad exit his room. He looked horrible. My sister and I became silent as he took his place at the table with us. He looked at us both with his tired eyes. Well, don't everyone speak at once? I could smell a faint odor of fermentation. Good morning, Dad, said Corey. She then served a bowl of breakfast for him, and he took a seat next to me. Smells delicious, love, he said, taking a big spoonful. My dad took Mom's leaving us harder than my sister and I. He used to be considered one of the happiest people in the city. He took his job to heart, working and maintaining the city structure, and he always helped those who needed a hand, but when Mom left us, he changed. Now he rarely gets enough sleep, spending hours locked away in his room with his drinks. He's broken, and he has lost his energy and motivation. Today we are going to the greenhouses for school, said Corey. What will you be doing there? asked Dad. Our teacher said we're going to learn the cultivation cells and how they work. They said that we're going to start learning about their process and how we get all their food. He sighed and stared at the bowl of mushy cereal. Maybe they can explain to you then why there isn't enough for all of us. We grew silent for a long while, eating spoonful after spoonful of our oatmeal. Finally, my father spoke up again. Today we'll be working on the East Supports, Braun. I will need you to scale down into number 37 and scrape off the rust. I hated going into the city support beams. They were a tight shaft to climb down, hard to maneuver in, and you were surrounded by pitch black darkness with only the light of your hard hat. Why can't Elijah do it? I asked. He's better at it than I am. He's quicker and smaller. Elijah is foolish and doesn't take care of his tools. The idiot dropped an entire tool belt down the shaft last month. We don't have many tools for work around here. Everything is precious. Please, I don't want to go down there again. Let me work exterior, I pleaded. I am much better at working exterior. You know I'm the best at that. He sighed and ate the last spoonful of oatmeal and said, I'll think about it. I will let you know when you come back from taking your sister to school, but you need to come straight to the East Supports, got it? Got it, I replied. We're not meeting at school today. Our teacher told us to meet outside the greenhouses for class, said Corey. When will you be done? I asked. We should be done in the afternoon like usual. We will be having class there for the next three days, too. There came a loud gust of wind that rattled a unit. This was common and happened frequently, but occasionally we would have a gust that would really shake things up. 
Sometimes the gusts of wind would be so powerful that people caught on the catwalks had been blown over the edge, falling to the white abyss below, never seen again. Because of this, I always made Corey wear the parachute I found for her. I never let her leave the unit without it. I always told her that in case she ever did fall, to pull the cord right away and she'd be safe. Parachutes, like everything, were hard to come by. I was told that when the city was first built, everyone had an emergency chute in case they fell. That was a long time ago. The materials became scarce for things like clothes, so people turned to whatever materials they could find. As it so happened, the material from the emergency chutes was in great quantity, thus making it the first thing everyone turned to. When breakfast was over, Corey took our bowls and placed them in the small sink we have in the kitchen. She quickly scrubbed and rinsed them and placed them on the rack to dry. Hurry along and get your pack, love, my dad said. I will see you after school. She turned to head to our room. Hey, my dad said, come back and give us a kiss before you go. She came back and kissed my dad on the cheek and hugged him. He held her for a long moment. I love you, he said. I love you too, dad. Hurry along, you don't want to be late today. She went back to the bedroom and got her pack. My dad stood up. Come straight to the east supports as soon as you take her to the greenhouses. Don't waste time. We have a lot to get done today, Braun. I stood up from the table. I won't be long. I then grabbed my jacket from off the coat hanger on the wall. It was a thick brown jacket, perfect for keeping warm in the cold winds that blew through the city. Corey re-entered the kitchen, bundled in her coat, and wearing her special backpack with the emergency chute nestled within. All ready, she said. Okay, let's go then, I replied. Bye, Dad. Goodbye, love. Have a good day. Stay safe, he called from his room. I will. I opened the door of our unit and stepped out onto the metal walkway and held the door open for Corey. She bounded past me and began to hurry along. Don't go so fast, I warned. I only have a few minutes before they start. We'll get there in no time. It's not like you'll get there and they won't let you in if you're late. I shut the door behind me and heard the lock click. Two. We walked together, passing a row of three neighboring units, each one the same as the next, rectangular structures with a single iron door and a number above each entrance. I looked over to my left, out at the other branch of housing units. There is about ten yards of a gap between our walkway and theirs. I looked down, past the hand railing at the white abyss below. I don't know how far down it goes. All I know is it's very far. Looking down at the nothingness always sent a shiver down my spine. What's down there? That was a question I always asked myself. I wondered if there was anyone down there still. The white sheet of clouds always looks the same, never changing. Sometimes it's closer to the city, other times further down, but it never disappears. It's always there. Corey and I turned at the end of our row, which opened up to a safer, larger area to walk on. The rising sun was brilliant, reflecting off the city's domes in the distance, blinding at the sight, but I welcomed the warmth of the light. Already as the morning was starting, there were people going about their business. Most of us have jobs as part of the community, except for those who can't, or if you happen to be one of the few who gets away with laziness. Corey and I hurried through the increasing crowd of citizens, making our way toward the greenhouse. The city itself is fairly large. I have no clue how big it really is. What I do know is that the population is around 12,000, and it was built for a population of 9,000. 
I have been told that before the fog devoured the earth, there were cities that had over a million people living in them. I can't even imagine what that would be like. We have such little space available here as it is. Eventually, we made our way into the city market, which was already at max capacity of persons getting in line at the various vendors. A lot of the shops mostly sold used and recycled things. As I'd said, materials were hard to come by, so something used and in half-decent condition is desired. From the marketplace, we entered the city square, where the governing building is. It's a tall structure, with six large pillars and a grand marble stairway to the entrance of three doors. And at the high point of the rooftop stands the statue of an angel. The holy being is clothed in a long robe to the pedestal, with mighty wings stretched out in a guarding manner. From the level of his chest, his hands grasped a sword, which pointed downward, his head bowed toward the pommel of the blade. Every time I passed by, I looked up at him standing there, waiting at his post, like all of us, waiting. We made our way out of the city square, heading toward one of the large domes, which is where the cultivation takes place. Off in the distance, I heard the rumble of a security vessel over the rooftops, making the morning patrol rounds. I watched it pass over us, the pilots peering over the side, watching the foot traffic below. The air vessel used by the city security are entirely black, approximately 16 feet long, each with an open cockpit for the operator and his partner, with a caged back seat for those taken into custody. There are other vessels in the city that are used for other things like transporting cargo, cargo that would be too much of a strain to maneuver through the crowded city streets, but for all their uses, transporting common citizens is not one of them. A man suddenly sprinted past Corey, nearly missing her, and then I saw another man following the runner shouting, Stop him! Stop him! He stole my food! I then realized after the two men ran past us that the security wasn't just making their morning patrol rounds. They were in pursuit. A crowd began to thicken as spectators drew near to catch a glimpse of the thief. I grabbed the back of Corey's pack to pull her close. From above, I heard the rumble of the security vessel flying in. The runner looked behind him and saw the security rig approaching. He lost his footing and stumbled to the ground. As he landed on the pavement, I saw three apples roll out of his pocket. He scrambled to get to his feet and grabbed two of the fallen apples. The spectators stood back, making space for the landing craft, which immediately the two officers sprang into a foot pursuit after the thief. They wore total black bodysuits, which looked firm on the chest and shoulders, probably resistant to knives and bullets. Both wore helmets, also black with the visor that covered their eyes, leaving the rest of their face exposed. I watched them run past the crowd, chasing the criminal. The word security was across the back of their uniforms in big, bold white lettering. Stop right there, one of them shouted. The man ignored him and tried to run again. As he did so, one of the officers removed a weapon from his holster, aimed it, and fired. The gun shot a small dart, which hit the assailant on the back, sending an electric shock throughout his entire body. The man yelled from the pain as it electrocuted him. He lost his footing again and fell to his chest. The shocks continued, putting him in a paralyzed state with his arms twisted and stuck in an uncomfortable and uncontrolled positions. His whole body lay twitching from the currents flowing through him. I picked up Corey and held her close to me, 
She hid her face in my shoulder, and I gently put my hand on the back of her head so she couldn't see. I didn't want her to see. The officers reached the man who was now laying on the ground, still enduring the shocks. The officer who shot him reached down and plucked the dart out of the man's back. Immediately, his body relaxed to normal. From out of the crowd came the man who was chasing a thief. That's the one who stole my apples, officer. One officer removed a pair of silver handcuffs from his uniform, pulled the man's arms together tightly behind his back and placed them on his wrists. The officers then pulled him to his feet and led him back to the vessel. One of the officers began to read to the criminal his rights and dragged him toward the vessel. Citizen, you are hereby charged with theft and evading officers after committing a crime. You will be placed into the city confinement center until your case can be heard and sentencing determined by the city governing committee. The thief didn't argue or struggle. He looked so weak from the shocks. The man who was robbed picked up the apples that had fallen out of the thief's pockets. All of them were now bruised and scraped from rolling on the rough sidewalk. The man then shouted to the crowd, Let that be a lesson to the rest of you if you ever think about trying to rob me. The crowd paid little attention to the victim. They were transfixed with the criminal being carried away. The thief was placed into the back of the security vessel and locked in the cage. The officers climbed into the front and started the engines. A powerful thrust of heat and exhaust escaped from underneath the craft, creating an intense wake of warmth. It lifted into the air. I watched them turn back toward the way they had arrived, going to the city security's confinement facility. The crowd of people slowly dispersed once again, going about their own ways. Quietly, they whispered to one another about the incident. All that for rotten fruit, I heard one say. Pitiful, said another. I set Corey back down on the ground. What's going to happen to that man? She asked. I'm not sure, I said. I actually did know what would happen, but I wasn't going to talk to her about that. Not many crimes are committed here. In heaven, there is nowhere to run, and judgment was quick and swift, often carried out by the city security. I've only heard about one very serious crime committed here, murder. I'm not sure of the details, but the penalty of murder in heaven is immediate execution. We finally reached the greenhouse. I looked around and didn't see Corey's class. They must already be inside, and I said, I'll go with you. 3. We entered through a massive doorway into the main lobby. The doors to the greenhouse which were giant steel reinforced doors, were propped open for the daytime. After sunset, the doors were bolted shut, just in case anyone had the guts to try and rob the food storages, which would be impossible for any regular citizen. There was a guard that stood a short way past the entrance in the center of the lobby next to an elevated glass monitor. He wore a green uniform, similar to that of the black uniforms that the other security officers wore, even with similar weapon in his holster. The only difference was is that this man didn't wear a helmet as the others did. He just wore an earpiece to communicate with the other security officers. He held up his hand as we approached. State your business, he said. I was supposed to meet with my class here today, said Corey. He looked at me. And you? he asked. I'm her brother taking her to class. The officer then looked down at his display screen and back up at us. They're not too far from here. 
He then turned around and pointed to the open hallway. Head down that way. Look down at the floor. You'll see three lines, green, red, and blue. Follow the green one only. Keep following it until you meet up with your school group. And you, he looked at me. After you've reached the group with your sister, turn around and follow the green line straight back. I nodded my head in obedience, then took Corey's hand. Come on, let's get moving. She nodded excitedly. Then we left the security guard and headed for the hallway. The lobby was barren. The walls, the ceiling, and the floors were all stark white, all except for the three lines which started at the hall's entrance. The green line was on the right, followed by the red in the center and the blue on the left. We began to walk down the hallway, which I had been through when I was in school at Corey's age. It looked exactly the same as when I passed through here with my class following the green line. We passed by many doors, which didn't specify what was behind them, many of which had black numbers painted above the doorway. We came to a split in the hall, the green line leading off to the right, with the red and the blue cutting away to the left. I looked above the hall, which the green line continued down, and read, Regulations and Labs. It was all in black lettering. Corey let go of my hand and started to walk faster. Hey, don't get too far ahead of me, I said. But, Braun, I'm late. We'll get there soon enough, I replied. Her shoulders slumped and she slowed back down to my pace. I began to wonder why we didn't see anyone else in the lobby or the hallway. I seemed to remember a lot of people going to and from many of the closed doors when I was here last. Men and women in white lab coats and all of them very clean looking, too. I imagine that the ones who get to work here must have more at their disposal as far as cleanliness and hygiene is concerned. The regular citizens also have hygiene facilities that are shared with each branch of housing units. It's separated by gender, each with a toilet, sink, and shower with a small hanger for your clothes and towel in one corner. There is also a clinic, which we go to for medical and dental care, although it's not easy to get in to see a doctor. I was told that back on Earth, it was easier to see a doctor. There were large multi-story clinics and centers, some dedicated completely to one type of medical care. There were entire universities dedicated to learning the medical professions, too. Only now it's an apprenticeship of sorts. Years of training in the clinics until you can see patients on your own. At least, that's what I have been told. I would have probably tried to get an apprenticeship of that type if I could pass any of their tests, but all I'm cut out to do is manual labor, like city structure maintenance, which isn't any less important, I think, but others don't notice we exist. Without us, the city would probably rust and wither away. I had even wanted to become city security once, but it's just as hard to get into, and my mom, when she was here, thought I would be happier doing something else. Corey and I passed by a door which didn't have a number above it. Instead, it said, Soil Regulation. I remembered that that is where the used soils from previous cultivation is then taken back and treated, cleaned and prepared to be used for another round of cultivation. The city thrives on recycling and using natural energies. The city utilizes solar and wind for electricity. It has a water treatment facility in one of the buildings, like the greenhouses that captures rain and moisture floating through the air. It also has a purification process for water that has been used in the city previously. Gray water, not sewage. 
I'm not sure where that goes, but I'm glad I don't have to work with it. I think I can hear voices, said Corey. I could hear them too. It sounded like they were coming from around the next corner of the hallway. We passed more numbered doors and walked around the turn. Not too far ahead was Corey's class, about 30 of them or so, stopped in the hallway, being lectured in front of a door marked Seed Processing. The lecturer, who wore a white lab coat and her hair tied up in a ponytail, stopped talking as we approached. Then Corey's teacher turned and looked our way. Corey, she said. I'm glad you could make it. Join the rest of us. Sorry I'm late, she said as she pressed her way into the group of kids. You haven't missed too much, her teacher then looked up at me. Thanks for walking her here, Bron. I smiled and turned back around to leave. I heard the young woman continue her speech about the seating process. That speech probably hadn't changed either. It was most likely word for word the same as when I was given it all those years ago. I looked down at the green line and followed it back to the corner. Four. I rounded the corner where the green line was met by the red and blue line. Again, I slowly paced myself walking back to the main lobby, reading the black numbers above each doorway. Down the hall, standing in the same place as before, was a security guard looking down at the suspended monitor, studying it intently. Another three blank doors later, I came to the one that was marked Soil Regulations. It was open. I stopped at the door and looked in. It was another hallway, much like this main one, with its stark white walls and ever-present hum of the luminescent lights above. The only major noticeable difference was at the far end of the corridor. I could see a large glass door with hazmat warnings, I think. My curiosity was burning inside me, almost as if someone had dumped fuel on an already angry blaze. I looked to my left back down the hall toward the lobby. The guard hadn't moved. Then I looked to my right, no white coats in sight. I briefly thought about what trouble I could get into, but I wasn't hurting anything. I was just curious to see what was in there. While in school, we didn't get to see much of this place. The majority of our learning happened during the daily tours in the hallways. However, there were some places, like the massive cultivation cells that had windows which we were able to look through at the fresh growing crops. The crops' natural colors were astounding. It was like a Garden of Eden. Large areas of corn stalks, rows of wheat, and rows of assorted vegetables, rows of fruit trees, and my favorite part was a section of plump, vibrant green watermelons. Oh, how I wanted to break into the rind and take a big bite out of the juicy red nourishing fruit, just letting the melon's fluid run down in little streams on my chin. Only a select few were able to harvest the lush produce grown within. They were trained professionals who wore special bodysuits and masks, as I remember. My memory rabbles on with something to do with suits and contamination. I quickly stepped into the corridor. I looked about at the other doors as I walked toward the large glass entrance before me. The other white doors were similar to those in the main hall. Nothing to set them apart unless they had a number above it, or, as one I passed, read, Sampling Lab. It was very quiet and there didn't seem to be anyone else present in this area of the greenhouse. This was slightly unsettling to me, as I'd said before. When I was here last, I remembered a lot of white coats bustling about. I reached the large glass door within a few moments. 
I read the cold black lettering on the glass which said, Soil Purification. I looked at the other symbols on the glass, ones I didn't recognize the meaning of, but I assumed what they were for. The thought about contamination danced through my head once more. One of the pictures I found strange, a white square with three circles all connected, and in the middle behind the other three was a fourth circle. It was menacing. And underneath it, in all capitalized letters, it said biohazard. There were some other similar symbols and numbers that were across the top of the doorway in various places, but my curiosity was still fierce. What was the hurt? There was a button on the left side of the door. I pressed it. The glass door slid open, and there came a sound, much like air pressure being released. I stepped inside, and the door shut behind me. In front of me, there was a large rubbery curtain of wide strips that went all the way to the floor and billowed slightly as I entered. I felt the sudden urge to turn back around, but it was too late now. Somewhere above me, there came a voice from an intercom. Please remain standing. It was a synthetic-sounding voice. There was a cold blast of air. No, a misty, like, white spray that came at me from all sides. I closed my eyes and mouth, trying to hold my breath. Even as I held my breath, I could still smell something. It was strong and sterile. It almost reminded me of the coating I paced onto the support beams after scraping off rust. Was that the biohazard stuff? Heck if I knew. But I wasn't going to take any chances on it. It only lasted about three seconds. Again, the robotic voice interrupted. Cleared of contamination. Please proceed. I paused a moment, then took a step toward the curtain and pulled some of the strips away to make my way through. I stepped into a large room with the same white walls. The ceiling was much higher here, a good four stories at the most. Inside the room were six tall and massively wide metallic silos that reached about a foot away from the ceiling. They were set up with three on each side across from one another, with a walkway in between them. That must be where they do their purification, I thought. I walked past them, looking up at the towers which held the most crucial ingredient of our food supply. All along the base of the silos were knobs and pressure gauges with numbers and letters, color codes, and names of chemicals, all of which were gibberish to me. I could hear a light rumbling coming from somewhere. It gave a small vibration as I came closer to one of the silos. That made sense. It was the inner workings of the machine. That's what I was hearing. I was fascinated with wonder as to what was making these giant towers tick, and wished that I had the smarts to even work in a place like this. I came to the last two silos. Nothing seemed to be different about them. It was what lay just beyond them that caught my eye. My breathing stopped. I looked ahead at multiple five-foot-tall black square tubs with thin plastic lining grasping over the brims. Each tub had a mound of soil that stacked up about three feet above it. The dirt looked perfectly sifted, with no imperfections. The rich brown color was stunning compared to the white walls around me. The smell was rich, something I hadn't smelled before, a clean kind of smell. Was that what earthy was supposed to smell like? I stepped closer and leaned in for another whiff. It was incredible, almost sweet to my nostrils. My curiosity was not satisfied. I lifted my hand into the air and slowly eased it toward the mound. 
I wanted to know what real dirt felt like. I wondered if the feeling of dirt under my fingertips would be as sweet as its scent. I paused for a moment. The anticipation was killing me. I was only inches away. I reached down a little faster and, what the hell are you doing here? I spun around, fearing that it was a security guard, but the voice sounded much younger and frantic. I was right. The voice had come from a young man in a lab coat. His face was full of pallor, as white as the coat he wore. His eyes were open to their fullest, with a fear-struck gaze. He was young, and not much older than me, maybe his early twenties. I was only eighteen at the time, probably an apprentice, judging by the looks of him. Even with his youth and lack of menace, I was afraid of him. Actually, I was afraid of him calling security. How, how did you get in? The, the door was open. The door, damn it! He looked away and bit the knuckle of his right hand's index finger. I only left for a moment and was coming right back. He turned back to me. Did you touch anything? What? He came up to me and grabbed my shoulders. Did you touch anything? The soil? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I was going to, but are you sure? Yes. He let go of me and stepped away. His knuckle returned to his mouth, and then he spoke frantically again. Do you realize what you might have done? You could have contaminated the whole damned load. The whole place, even. Do you know how much trouble that'd cause? That kind of setback would be... His face grew whiter still. Please, don't call security, I pleaded. I, I didn't touch anything, honest to God. Security? The man laughed a crazed, paranoid laugh. If I do that, they'll put us both in the slammer. Me for allowing a breach, and you for trespassing. Th then I'll leave, quickly and discreetly. It's not that damn simple. Th then what else can I do? The man thought about this for a moment. All right. We'll get out of here to the hallway, and from there I will lead you to the main hall. If the guard sees us in the main lobby, just, just act like we're old buddies, catching up. Got it? And then something really bad crossed my mind. One that I hadn't even considered before entering the soils lab. Aren't there security cameras? I asked. I could see the white coat's heart skip a beat. He muttered a curse under his breath and placed a hand on my shoulder, pulling me to walk with him. Quickly, he said hushed. I'm not sure if the cameras captured audio too, but if they did, it was far too late to start speaking in hushed voices. Even with the fear and adrenaline pumping through my body, my curiosity was still ablaze with questions about the soils. However, I didn't ask them. I figured that now would not be the time to discuss any scientific process with the chance of getting arrested. We stepped through the rubber curtain and back into the decontamination room. The white coat pressed a button on the wall and another cold blast of white mist sprayed around us. After it had completed, the robotic voice returned. Cleared of contamination. Please proceed. The large glass doors made a click and slid open. We hurriedly walked through the lab, heading for the door to the main hallway, which was now closed. If I was going to ask any question, now would be the time to do it. Why aren't there as many people here as I remember years ago? He didn't break his pace or gaze toward the door. Long story short, some problems arose. I didn't bother asking what kind of problems, and I figured he wouldn't tell me even if I'd asked. He turned the knob of the door and slowly opened it. Very carefully, he peered out to his left, and then around the door's edge toward the main lobby. I followed in suit and exited. I could see the guard still looking down at his monitor. He must have never moved while on the job. Well, it was good seeing you, said the white coat. The guard suddenly looked over at us from his post. 
I gritted my teeth as I smiled at him, and then back to the white coat. It was nice seeing you too, buddy. The young man backed into the lab hallway, and while closing the door, he mouthed the words, still frantically, go act normal. The door shut and locked with that familiar click. I turned back down the hall and walked toward the lobby. The security guard had his eyes locked on me, showing an expression of great suspicion and irritation. I made my way past him and to the open doors. A friend I haven't seen in a while, I said, trying to act normal, which I was horrible at. The guard made a sneer and then returned to gazing at his monitor. I made it out into the open safely. Five. I was full of relief, and the adrenaline had subsided some. Now it was time for me to get to the east supports and start my work for the day. I had only gone about eight yards from the greenhouse entrance when I heard a deep voice from behind me. Citizen, halt! I stopped dead in my tracks, my shoulders slumped, and I turned around to see a city security guard approaching me, black suit, visor down, and hand near his holster. Look, officer, I said. I wasn't doing anything wrong. All I did was go in there and talk to a friend, I continued to lie. The officer was now an arm's length from me. He then reached with his right hand to his side of his helmet and pressed a button to retract the black visor, revealing his whole face. The relief washed over me once more. What are you talking about, Braun? It was my lifelong friend, Tristan. We had gone to school together and been best friends since day one. He was taller than I was, better built body, like a brick. He had managed to make it into the cadet program for city security, which was a perfect career for him. He may have been a big guy, tough and strong, but I knew him well enough to know that underneath it all, he had a heart that was very tender. I smiled. I was dropping off Corey to meet her class. We were a little late, so I went in with her and spoke to someone in there for a bit. I thought maybe they had broken a rule or something. The security guard in there gave me a death stare. Tristan laughed and patted me on the shoulder. I don't blame him. Building security is such a boring job. No mobility. You just stand at your post and wait for something to happen. How is training going? I asked. Tristan shrugged. It's going, I guess. I still have quite a lot of things to learn before I can really do security on my own. I'm just a peon right now. We both are, right? Eventually we'll be in the big leagues, right? Sure, if you say so. Hey, I gotta get back to my FTO, but I'll catch up with you later. Maybe I'll see you in the cafe? Sounds good to me. See you then. He pressed the button on his helmet, which put the visor back into place over his eyes. I waved goodbye to him and began to walk toward the east supports. I hoped that work wouldn't be a bad day. I couldn't handle any more excitement. I'd had plenty already.